Welcome to Knives Out Minute, the podcast that tracks Ryan Johnson's Knives Out, minute by minute. I'm your host, Adil Kirchi, and this week and today, I'm joined by Luke Allen. Hello. Pleasure to be back. So this is episode minute 17, so time code 001600 to 001659. Uh, it, we start mid-Walt's flashback with his uh, conversation slash argument um with his father Harlan uh we ended with an it's it's so the line it, yeah so we start with it it's unfair of me to have kept you tethered to something that isn't yours um I've done you a grave disservice all these years I've kept you uh from building something of your own um so basically uh Harlan is saying tells him tells Walt that he's no longer going to be in charge of the publishing house uh Walt's response uh, and then he he sort of turns to walk away after patting him on the on the on the shoulder uh, he says are you are you whoa dad are you firing me uh no i uh will talk details tomorrow my mind's made up and they pats him twice on the um shoulder uh and turns and says good boy and then we the 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 flashback clip um ends with the people in the background laughing uh and we cut back to the interview uh where walt says jesus it was nothing you want to talk about an argument hell and we cut uh so quite a dynamic for such a small chunk of actual dialogue a lot gets introduced in this minute um i'm trying to like as i've said it's been a, a while since i've seen it but I, I do remember this kind of their relationship and it's nice to to kind of get that i think the performances are incredible i like what we were talking about cinematography in the last bit it's most of this minute is the one shot and i like how it's just kind of a slow push in before we kind of cut out and it's quite when when we cut out from the flashback, it's quite a kind of jarring cut, change of, change of angle, change of mise en scène, change of lighting. Like it's all just, I I I love how jarring it is because it's used in a clearly deliberate way. Yeah, I think that's a good point. What I wanted to to, uh, to comment on was just how the use of light specifically in, yeah. So in both the, in these flashbacks versus the interview room. But also this particular one, because so the interview room is in this like parlory, this like well windowed middle of the day, very bright um, lounge type area, right? Yeah. Uh, and the party was at night in, you know, there's like one overhead light, but there's like arch arches in the room, so like the overhead light doesn't hit all the spots. Mm. They went aside away from the main room, which had this sort of paltry lighting, and they're sort of near a window or something that's casting light that has um, 
So it's it's like a light through trees or something because they yeah both of them the light is sort of speckling on them, uh, and like you said, as the shot pushes in, we lose light and we gain more of that texture on their faces, and and again because they're acting so well, like we're we're seeing and mm. feeling that emotion, and the lighting is really. You know, you're sort of because the lighting is more strained. You're you're paying more attention to their faces because you're sort of yeah. What well, to go kind of all film studies about it when uh, he kind of walks off, you're it, it creates a form of chiaroscuro with the with the mix of the the bright lights and the dark and the shadows together, um, which is just lovely and aesthetically pleasing. Uh, for those who aren't aware, do you want to just yeah, yeah. let us know what? So chiaroscuro is kind of just when you got. The mix of shadows and light in the same shot, which is just lovely and and, and satisfying more than anything else. It just cre- creates aesthetic pleasure. I yeah, really so, hope so I got that was... right because my film teacher's a podcaster, so who knows? Maybe she'll be listening to this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, he walks out of their sort of dappled, barely lit bit in, into a spot, like through a spot, and he's got this bright white hair. And of course, because he's turned, it's just this—he's like this orb that sort of appears right before. Um, uh, and sort of tracks out of the shot while, while actually Walt turns into the shadows at the, as the end of the shot he, and looking yeah. more and more like you, he, and he, meanwhile, Michael Shannon is processing while Walt is processing what just happened. So he's like shocked and confused and you get a hint of a slight fear as he looks t- more towards the camera as he's looking away into the shadows so you're like you see that la- the last thing is the hint of fear and then we cut to so- even closer to his face in the bright room in the interview scene yeah and like it's it's a thing which i feel like every editing teacher would tell you not to do <laughs> is to is to kind of cut from the same character and you, it, it's it's only like a slightly different angle change in a way. Like it's not like you're cutting from the back of his head to the front of his face in another room. Well, like, yeah, I mean, he was literally turning towards you, so it feels the same. So it, yeah, he turned towards you, but the lighting change and the setting change is so jarring that it really works as a as a cut away from the from the from the um, flashback, which is just yeah, it's beautiful. It's really really well done. It's it's brave. I, to do but it works so well and i think why it works really it's it's like bolstered by the fact that in the narrative he's reliving this and you can see in his eyes immediately that that memory isn't pleasant for him um and so you get the the continuation of that emotion that bridges the sort of jarring switch from you know him sort of side like side shoulder shot in the dark turning away and starting to pivot to like full on just straight on to his front looking kind of down and i think that that emotion is really carries that sort of jarring thing because it's not dissonant because you're like in the same emotional space mm. and i think the the bright light as well it it parallels the the idea of police interrogation the kind of shining mm. the light on you in the interview whereas whilst the whole room is brightly lit because we're in the close up it just gives you that kind of that kind of very personal thing. Once again, well, possibly also because we're just stuck on that very close shot of his face. Yeah. That with the bright light and everything, it feels like interrogation. And yeah, I think I I can't fault the filmmaking. I think it's it's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I also think so. The last shot as he's so now Walt. So you, we cut to here, and Walt is like clearly in that moment of uh, and 
like the story is written all over his face, so you know that Benoit Blanc is seeing this as well, right? Which is a really yeah. nice narrative touch. Like he's obviously lying. We don't have to even pretend he's not because we've cut in this really dynamic way, like in 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 the, in the sense of there's no way anyone in the room w- couldn't tell that he was not happy and now is describing something that is ha- fine. Mm. So that's clearly not what happened. Yeah. So it's really good storytelling to like. Not only does the audience know what's going on, obviously, but like clearly Benoit knows something's up just mm. by the that structure of the cutaway. And then as soon as we get that notion and then Walt starts putting his facade on because he's like, oh, yeah, but changing the subject to, you know, want to talk about an argument, hell, as we cut, like the, that's when the camera starts. Like Basically, as soon as he starts to compose himself, the camera starts to pull away. Yeah. And so we get the same sense of the camera is the depth of insight in. Mm. available like and as he's separating himself from the situation we're separating ourselves from him exactly yeah yeah so it's kind of like that yeah the camera is acting like how much of his facade is available not only to us but also to benoit Mm. which is a really interesting touch so yeah i really i really liked that transition quite a bit i also Um, quite like his jumper because it it conveys a (laughs) sense of funness that really sort of juxtaposes the moment. Like it's not, it's not, an, it's not an overly fun jumper, but it's the the sort. I don't know. It's like just the sort of patterns on it. Um, it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it, it might just be me. The kind of shirt and jumper combo with the sort of diamond patterns he has on it. I've always sort of conveys a little bit of kind of fun. But it's it's interesting. Yeah. It might it might be my own preconceptions as to who I know who wears things like that, but that's very interesting because to me it it speaks to him sort of like it's also it it's sort of speckled, yeah, right, and that feels it reminds me like when I when a jumper pills, like it's it's kind of mm. old and and he hasn't kept it up and he's just like it's functional, yeah, it's got muted colors, uh, it, like to me it feels like yeah he works in book. The colors are very muted. It, it feels like a very kind of worn jumper. Yeah, but and maybe I feel like where, that's what it's... where fun once was. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it, it. I thought to me, it felt like his like his wardrobe is like he's beaten down. He just is doing this thing for his father. He's always under under his father in his father's shadow, and he can't every anything he tries to do to get out of it. Yeah, it ends up being like stymied. And like to me, that's like yeah, this is like. A jumper with a pattern, but the colors are muted. Like, I want to be more fun, but I'm still me who's just been under my father's thumb for so long that, like, mm. the best I could do with a pattern is muted colors. But also, I tried this a while ago, and I've just stuck with this old jumper. Like, that's the the vibe is just to yeah. me, and maybe just because of what I read from the scene that, that we that we saw before, um, is just, like, downtrodden kind of expects any of his ideas not to happen but really hopes that one day they will and like mm. that's the guy who picks that shirt out and then yeah. wears it for five years straight yeah um so yeah i think we talked about cinematography and lighting uh which which were the things i wanted to talk about for this episode was there anything else that jumped out at you i mean i think it we're sort of being the this minute and last minute being sort of the same flashbacks sort are of being cut yeah. up it's it's uh there's very like, little to... difference to talk about in terms of yeah, in terms of visuals. Um, is there anything particular on the score? Because I've just got the visual well, playing back. I'm not listening to the score. Oh, I mean, I was going to save the score for for tomorrow. 
I think. Yeah, sure. I mean, we already breached it. It was more of I didn't have anything special for tomorrow, and so I didn't want to steal from um, the future to pay the present. Uh, that works. Uh, this is a good point to ask uh, you about your sort of general feelings about sort of detective dramas, murder mystery hmm. films, and where you situate yourself uh, with them. I I find them fun, but I never choose to watch them. I think that I yeah like um the closest thing to a detective drama that I watch is still kind of more of a I mean actually, I guess I did watch Sherlock but that felt like something different anyway I think that was way more kind of I don't know I don't know what separated it but Sherlock felt like a separate thing <laughs> it got a bit it got I... a bit too up itself towards the end to be honest <laughs> uh, agreed um I think a lot of it was like even if you were never really a fan, you knew the basic. Mo- yeah. Most people in the who were raised in the Western world, right, know the basic beats of Sherlock, and this was a very dynamic but somehow true to the core of those beats. Yes. Update reboot, which was fascinating, even if you didn't know how much was new, how much was old. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Um, also, that pilot was phenomenal mm. and actually when i when i went back because i didn't i never finished the series um but when i went back i realized that all my goodwill because i was like ah oh, season two wasn't nearly as good but okay and then didn't really get to season three you know that that type of approach to a show and yeah. i realized that actually the only the main reason like season one was just all the goodwill it earned on the pilot i mean I, I i found it i found it enjoyable all the way through but it definitely got worse that's the thing with Stephen Moffat, <laughs> yeah. um, unfortunately. But uh, to cross over to another Doctor Who showrunner, I watched the first series of Broadchurch. Enjoyed mm. that once again. I think I, that I probably watched that because I was a Doctor Who fan. I think that was just a thing that because it was like Doctor I Who. I think cast. a lot of people did. Yeah, I, I, I've been I've been meaning to catch the rest of it on BritBox and see whether like whether series one holds up to what I remember and whether the other two seasons were all right. But the the one I'm going into at the moment, uh, detective wise, um, is more of a comedy drama. Uh, it's a British show called um, Shakespeare and Hathaway, which is really fun. Which is about a a Mrs. Shakespeare and Mr. Hathaway who just happened that happens to be their names, who are detectives. And I started watching it a while ago. It's set in Stratford. There's a lot of kind of little Shakespearean parallels, but it, that, that's just a joke. Um, were you are you aware of the show at all? Or? Uh, I wasn't, but now I'm super curious. It's Shakespeare and Hathaway, private investigators. Yeah, and so I yeah. my my parents introduced it to me, and I've I've I admittedly kind of it's one that I hop in on and don't really kind of watch all the way through. But I did find out like after I'd watched a couple of episodes of my parents that a friend of mine directs it. <laughs> so that's really so, yeah, uh, the head director is Piotr Skopiak, who's an amazing uh, film maker and yeah so for his sake i should try and watch some more because i enjoy it whenever i'm watching it and it's one of those you it's one of those detective dramas you can enjoy on two levels you can just kind of have it on in the background and enjoy it as kind of laughing at some of the comedy moments or you can be fully invested in the in trying to figure out who done it and all of that stuff so i i highly recommend shakespeare and hathaway private investigators and shout out to piot skopiak excellent um so so it's not your genre choice but you you never it's it's not like it does it rubs you the wrong way. It's just you don't mm. seek it out, but when you do see it, it yeah can be enjoyable. It can be enjoyable. Yeah, there's uh. I I'm I think it's possibly why Shakespeare and Hathaway is the one I watch more than the rest of them. I'm I'm a very comedy person, 
some mm. great drama one of my favorite movies is a drama but i if if i'm picking out something it's probably a comedy film uh so that's so hence i end up avoiding a lot of stuff like this fair enough uh i love uh detective shows like police procedurals used to be my bread and butter until last year where they became really hard to watch for a long large stretch of time um uh, the phrase "copaganda" uh, comes springs to mind, uh, but um, I, I there's like two types of them for me. There's like the more active narrative focused ones, uh, and then there's the like uh, there was one period where it's particularly low that I just barreled through like over ten seasons of Criminal Minds um, in a very short, embarrassingly short amount of time. That's like the popcorn. I just want to watch a thing, but also, uh, you kind of watch with the view to being like, okay, what are the clues that the author's trying to, or like the director or creative team is are trying to give me? What are the red herrings? Like some sort of put the puzzle togethering. Um, and I, I mean, historically, that's why I've liked these. And then I realize sometimes it just can be popcorn, and you don't have to think. And it, and uh, but that's why that's where I think my soft spot for detective shows and, and mysteries specifically, because of course you could have ones that aren't mysteries. They're just, you know, cops or, or, or detectives doing their thing and the audience knows all the things. Overall kind of crime drama can be fun. I don't, I haven't, I admittedly don't watch a ton of it, but I, 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 I think I'm very, very behind in that I only just watched through The Night Manager, which was like a big oh. thing ages ago. But yeah, it was a while ago. I, I was too young when it was out, I think. Um, I can't That's remember fair. when it was out, but I was. Um, but one of one of my favorite actors is Tom Hollander. I think he's like mm. I I enjoy pretty much everything I see him in. So at one point I was chatting with my grandparents and they were like, "Oh, he was really great in The Night Manager," and I'd never seen that. And then they got me the DVD for Christmas, so I watched it and I really enjoyed it. So I'm. I know that's not uh, detective drama per se, but that kind of crime drama overarching story, I think I need to get more into. Because whichever ones I watched, I do end up enjoying. Yeah, and I think that's why I wanted to sort of tease the two apart. Because, mm, like, yeah. what I like about Knives Out is that uh, it does both. Yes. It's so well made and, and um, acted and directed. And you could just watch it as a story. Mm. Uh, but there is this part of there are, you know, things going on that, like, the epistemic state is unsure. You're not... you. you even when, and it presents it such that even when parts of the movie, you you learn through more reliable reco- uh, uh, recountings that it's probably not all it's going to be. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I, I really like um, murder mysteries and like this as a murder mystery, and I like this as just a straight film that happens to revolve around a, a, a murder. Hmm. Uh, cool. Um, I think that's probably everything for for this chunk. Uh, like, I, I think uh, I really enjoyed our, our chat around that that the that dynamic shot exchange. Yeah. Uh, in the flashback. Um, so, uh, if people had their uh their own opinions uh, on such matters, uh, and whether you got that term right, if they wanted to correct you on your film term, if you happen yeah. to have gotten that wrong, how would they contact you? They could contact me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero, on Instagram at The Ginger Luke, on Facebook at Luke Allen Film, all podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, anything I'm remotely involved in is over at LukeAllen.co.uk, and they can find my shows Please Be Seated, 
Two Minutes About Time and Christmas Actually on all good podcast platforms. That felt, that felt smooth. I'm proud of that one. <laughs> you should, yeah. It felt well-oiled. Well um, and if you wanted to talk to us here at the show, you can reach us at Knives Out Minute on Twitter. Uh, that's been us for another uh, here at Calm. <laughs> Thanks again, Luke, for joining us. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>